Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. Oh, buddy, there you go. Don't Stop Believing, of course, by Journey. And we never did here on IP Frequently. And now not only are we a podcast, but we're actually a uh, radio show. Well, that's right. And for everyone out there who have not heard us before, I find that hard to believe. You've got David Pridham here and Brad Sheaf. We are the hosts of the number one business podcast in America today, IP Frequently, that is now also a radio show. And, you know, Brad, I like to talk to people about why we started peeing frequently. Well, buddy, I think a lot of that probably has to do with reaching middle age. I'm sure many out there can commiserate with that. Uh, but beyond that, but I mean, you, you know, you and I obviously we're business partners, we're best friends, we we spend a lot of time working together and also, you know, enjoying each other's company as do our families. And, you know, we realize we you and I grew up in a different America than we have today, right? I mean, we didn't have to come home until the lights came on. If you put a gun to my parents head on any given Saturday and said, where's your oldest son, they would have said, I have no idea you got to again, you got to wait for the lights to come on. And, you know, we don't feel like like we've changed. We feel like America has sort of changed underneath us. And, and that hasn't always been for the better. And certainly one of the things that has been for the worse is that we, do, we just don't do intelligent discourse in this country anymore. I mean, you're, you, you're either, it seems like if, if everyone in America was put on a football field, everybody would be jammed into the end zones and screaming at each other, and no one would be in the middle trying to figure out just exactly what the hell is going on. And that's where you and I want to be. We want to call balls and strikes. We want to be fair. We want to address the issues of the day. We want to try and, and bring discourse back so that we can get America back. America is not a place after all. It's an idea. And obviously, a big part of that idea, at least economically, are small businesses. And we run ours. I think we run it pretty well. And, you know, we just want to be back in an America where whether you're more to the left or more to the right, you can talk through issues, you can see different viewpoints, and we're all kind of moving forward as opposed to, you know, backward, which I think we're kind of doing today. And this is the portion of the show where we dive into some current events. We call it Newsreel. And here's where we talk about events that are going to affect you, the small business owner. Um, first, Brad, we have a new tax proposal coming out of Washington, D.C. Oh, good. Um, this sure is uh, fantastic. It's exactly what uh, you uh, would think it would be and more. Let's see. Where should we begin? Where should we begin? Uh, top marginal federal income tax rates going up to 
percent. Um, the uh, effect on someone, for example, who lives in New York, would be a 61.2 percent uh, combined state and federal tax rate under the uh, the plan uh, of the uh, the Democrats. Californians will see a 59 percent uh, tax rate. This will include increases in the corporate tax, capital gains tax, the death tax, and pretty much any other tax you can uh, you can imagine. Of course, it's got a long way to go till it gets through the democratically controlled House and Senate, but it, it is uh, it is starting. It's well on its uh, well on its way. And if you just look at some other states where we have a ton of listeners, um, New Jersey would face a combined 57.2% rate, Hawaii 57.4, and your favorite state and mine, uh, Brad, Connecticut, a whopping 59.8. But I just, I mean, again, neither you nor I make any claims to be a genius, but I, I don't I don't understand the thinking behind the increase of taxation. And I'm gonna assume, and we all know what happens when you assume, you can square me away here if I'm wrong, but this is only going to apply to a relatively small percentage of Americans, right? I mean, I think, first of all, people would say, well, wait a minute, you're listing the top tax rate, uh, which is true. That's what you're doing. But And so, you know, how many do we have any idea, like what percentage of folks this is going to impact? Well, it depends on which tax you look at when you look at the um, the top rate. I mean, that's about you know, more than 50 percent of the incomes comes through the top rate. Um, but you're going to see a bunch of other taxes like the, the capital gains tax that will affect, um, many, many people who are not quote unquote, uh, top 1% earners. So the question is, uh, we're now raising the, uh, we're now raising the tax rates in the middle of a global pandemic where there is a job crisis, where there is an inflation crisis. Um, is that good? Is that good economics? And I, I just don't think so. Well, yeah, I mean, again, here's the part I don't understand. So let's set aside that these astronomically high top tax rates, I mean, again, let's so let's take the air out of the argument. Oh, well, you only talk about 1% of the people, they can afford it, blah, blah, blah. These things trickle down, right? So if your top tax rate, as you said, in New York, 61%, I mean, there's a, there's a chunk of people that are going to be paying more than 50%. Okay, so think about that for a second, right? So you're going to work through the end of June just to pay your taxes, right? So before you take any money post-tax, if you're at 50%, then you're working the first six months of the year for the various government entities that are taking that money out of your wallet. And, and the part that I don't get, there's two things here I just don't understand. One, for these states that have these astronomically high rates, it, there's no wall around your state, right? I mean, people are going to look at that and say, quite reasonably, I got to get the hell out of here. Right. And that is what they are going to do. So you may think that you're going to increase your overall tax revenue. But if everybody who is sitting in an uncomfortable tax position leaves, you've actually created more of a problem than you've solved. And, and if folks have the kind of income that is going to put them in those tax brackets, and guess what? They have the, the kind of income that's going to allow them to leave. And if you say, well, wait a minute, they have jobs, they're tied to their jobs. Hey, guess what? We all just spent a year working out of our houses. Everyone knows that's possible. Okay, so that's not going to work. And the other thing I don't get is, does no one understand psychology, even just pop psychology, right? I mean, you are motivating people to either 
work less, right? Or find more creative ways to shield their income from you, right? So as opposed to getting people in the headspace you want them, which is, hey, I, you know, I've had a good year, I've made a fair amount of money, I don't mind paying my share, right? That's the, that's the zone you want to be in where people swallow hard and say, you know what, I'll do it. And once you push them beyond that point, they're going to spend all of their time looking for ways to get out of this situation that you have created. And that's going to wind up with an overall negative impact on your state, your federal, your local economies. I mean, that is what's going to happen. Motivation matters. The way people view what they're doing matters. And by taxing them in the high 50s to low 60s, you have pushed them into an area where they are going to push back. And, you know, at least for the time being, we remain a democracy. So I, I, I just don't get what the folks that are behind these tax plans, as you pointed out, in a pandemic with infl inflation on the rise. I just don't understand what they're trying to do or how they think it's going to work, especially over the long haul. A few more data points here. This is a $3 trillion tax increase with T. Um, this is the biggest tax increase in about 50 years. Uh, and when you look at raising the corporate tax rate and raising it as, as large as this would by 7%, you know, what that effectively does is forces corporations to make decisions about fewer employees or decisions about raising prices or decisions about um, lowering, uh, lowering wages. And you know that all that all definitely trickles down and impacts mid and lower class people. So I think you know that that's something that really needs to be looked at and thought about before you start implementing broad based tax policy. And it's being done so quickly here. And I think there's a reason behind it, Brad. I think what's happening is the people in charge in Congress realize that there are razor thin majorities on both sides. They're using the global pandemic. As a, as a means to make transformational changes in the US government. And when they do that, and when they, when they do that through these type of uh, tax increases and then the, the, the $3.5 trillion spending bill that's accompanying this, um, through paper thin majorities, uh, they're trying to leverage things like the pandemic and things like the, the chaos we see in our government today to the detriment of the small business owners and a lot of the middle class people out there that they are supposed to serve. I mean, this this tax increase is so uncompetitive. Um, if you look at our corporate tax rate that's proposed here, um, it's significantly higher than the average European rate. It's significantly higher than the Chinese corporate tax rate. And it puts our businesses in a in a uh, sort of a box and in an uncompetitive a situation with its foreign counterparts, not to mention the fact that, you know, they're already seeing difficulties with supply chain, difficulties with hiring, difficulties with retaining workers here in the U.S., um, and significant tax burdens across the board. So I think this is just not the way that uh, any uh, government should treat its people, especially in such a, such a sort of a tenuous time as we see here uh, today. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you've got the poisonous cocktail of naivete, economic illiteracy, and just plain politics, right? I mean, the, the folks that are behind this clearly don't understand the levers they are pulling and the buttons they are pressing and what the overall impact 
on the economy is going to be. And while they're jumping up and down and hollering about how, therefore, you know, the, the lower income, you know, socioeconomic strata and how they're trying to take care of the little guy, those are the folks who always, I mean, crack a history book. Anytime you make changes like this, it's those folks who suffer the most. Because as you pointed out, businesses are going to adjust, right? Especially big businesses. They're going to look at this and they're going to say, oh, okay, so you're going to increase taxes. That's going to cut into our net revenue. We have to make the following adjustments in order for us to do where we, to be where we want to be economically, right? In order for us to do what we did last year, the year before, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to cut employees. Well, they're not going to cut, you know, their, their senior executives. That's not going to happen. So they're going to cut some of these, the, the lower wage earner employees who are nice to haves, but not need to haves. They're going to find themselves without jobs. They're going to increase prices, right? Folks that have a lot of money are, are going to be able to shake that off. Folks that don't, that's going to cut right into their disposable income, when, whether or not they're able to, to, to go out on a date, whether or not they're able to take their kids out to dinner, whether or not they're able to go see a movie, all of that is going to cut into folks who don't have a lot of disposable income. And it's being done purely for political reasons. And we've created a culture in this society that rewards the looters and rewards the people um, that like to criticize and handicaps people that actually want to work for a living and people that actually want to start a small business, people that actually want to hire employees and people that actually want to give employees a, a chance to um, uh, climb up the, the, the economic ladder. And, and, and that whole incentive scale where, you know, people would rather just stay home and, and uh, wait for um, the government to hand out more uh, in, in terms of uh, COVID or quote unquote COVID relief um, and would rather criticize people that have actually started a business and say, you should pay more, you should pay more, uh, as opposed to, well, you know, it's really about all of us collectively and what we can do. And it's all of our responsibility to fund the government. And then, Brad, there's the question of when you do fund the government, what do you get for your money? Because as far as I can tell, there's really not much we're getting these days. Well, yeah, I mean, all of what you say is absolutely true and absolutely relevant, right? I mean, we have and that's, again, it's why we do this show, right? We want to try and get back to the place where people have conversations about what right looks like. People of different perspectives with different viewpoints have conversations about what right looks like so that we can make a national decision about the direction we want the nation to go and do it collectively and do it in a way that has the benefit of a bunch of different viewpoints and perspectives, as opposed to like, like we talked about people being on, on just extreme opposites of any given issue and just throwing rocks back and forth at each other. But what won't work is a welfare mentality that that doesn't work anywhere. I'm not talking about welfare programs, not being functional. That's a different issue, right? So specific programs put in place to support specific people who have specific needs, those will always be necessary in any society. But the idea that the government is simply going to take care of me. I should just be able to sit around. And if I don't have something I want, then that's someone else's fault. And it should just be given to me is not going to function as the foundation of any workable society. It's just now, not now, Brad, just to clarify, when you say take care of you, you're talking about the chief version of take care of and not the, the Pridham Northeast go, you know, go, 
go take care of that guy. Well, quite problem. frankly, either, really. I mean, if people want to sit around and wait for the government to come take care of them, there are people who feel like that might happen. That's not good. And if there are people who are sitting around, you know, more my sense of the expression being taken care of or having their needs met, that's also not good. Right. And so neither of those things is good. And neither of them is going to work as the foundation of a of a society that can move itself forward. I mean, we, there was a point in time where we understood that there was a point in time where we understood it is the foundation of the American dream. Right. The idea that if I go work hard enough, that I'll have the opportunity to not only improve my life, but the, but to to in, to a much higher degree, improve the life of my children, and then they'll have that same opportunity, and their children will have that same opportunity. It's what motivated our grandparents, David. It's what motivated our parents. It's what motivates us. And all of a sudden, we seem to have come to this place where where people feel like it's legitimate to sit around and stick up a hand and say, "Listen, I, I don't have the pair of sneakers I deserve, so I'm just going to go take them from this store that sells sneakers." And that's legitimate, right? That is that is an economic program that will function long-term. And, and it's clearly not. No one looking at that with any kind of realistic perspective would say, oh yeah, that's okay. And yet, you know, here we are where that is, you know, just allowed to take place. And people even justify it saying, well, you know, these folks are upset. They don't have the sneakers they want. They should be able to have them. And that's crazy. Yeah, and most of those sneakers are made by uh, slaves in China. Yeah, no one cares about that. Well, I mean, certainly not uh, the NBA, but that's a different show and a different segment, Brad. Um, but getting back to what you get out of your government in terms of what you pay in and what you get, I mean, if you're an investor and you've invested this much in this government and then you say, okay, it's time to report to the the other shareholders and, and uh, here are the successes of our government. I mean, it used to be you could point to foreign policy and, okay, well, we've gone and we've decimated some country somewhere and, and there's some military success and we've had, we have strong borders and a really um, uh, well-motivated and well-funded military. And you look at where we are today. And if you look at example of exa- after example, whether it's what's going on in Afghanistan or what's going on at the Southern border where people are being held in pens right now, you really don't hear about that, but that's that's what's happening. It seems like the return on investment as a taxpayer is so poor um, that this country, if it were a company, would probably be bankrupt. Well, it would certainly be. I mean, because you know, any company is poorly led and is poorly managed as the the company of the United States of America has been over the last several years would be in uh, receivership right away. And that's, you know, again, businesses don't have the opportunity to raise taxes, right? But when you've failed at managing your budget as a government, that's what you see. And as you pointed out, we see increase in taxes like we haven't seen in 50 years. And it's all in an effort to try and cover up the fact that we can't be responsible, right? That the government cannot be responsible with the money that people have, as you point out, invested in it, right? And that's become increasingly self-evident and if you're driving down the road listening to this show, you probably jarred several of your teeth out, even just over the last segment, because our infrastructure hasn't been taken care of in so long. And yet we seem to have plenty of money to, uh, to do $3.5 trillion spending bills, some of which theoretically is going to be for that infrastructure. But if you look at it, reports say that the 80% of that $3.5 trillion isn't actually going to any kind of infrastructure at all. Our problem at this point 
is there's not a single adult in the federal government. And if we don't get that fixed, then this, this is just going to continue. Yeah. And, and when you look at the shining successes of our country and evaluating our investment in our country, because we are all investors and shareholders in this country, and you say, okay, you've got, you know, the, the, the tax money we're sending in is paying for our, our climate czar, John Forbes Carey, to fly around the world in a private jet, um, for our uh, transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, to uh, be driven around by security and then parked a block from the um, DOT offices so he can get out and ride a bike past reporters and pretend he bikes to work every day. I mean, that is just a poor, um, uh, those are poor uses of taxpayer funds. Quite frankly, none of that should be allowed. When you have to look at the overall portfolio of this country and you have to say, okay, the most shiny example of success is the post office, which is pretty much where we're at right now, my friend. It's pretty much where we're at. We've got problems. Yeah. Anytime you're pointing to the U.S. post office as the pinnacle of your success, you got problems. Um, David Pridham here along with Brad Sheaf. And today, when I picked Brad up at the airport so that we could uh, we could uh, get this show off and running, and I handed him his In-N-Out burger, I said, Brad, how was the flight with the COVID restrictions? Was everything, uh, was, was everything okay? Did you have to wear a mask? Were there any uh, brawls on your plane? I know Brad likes to typically fly freight. He flies those FedEx jaunts and just tethers himself to some of the larger packages in order to be secure and safe. And he enjoys, you know, those flights across the international dateline and back. Uh, but Brad, how was this flight? Did it, did it treat you well? It was fine, buddy. It was fine. I mean, as you point out, when you fly freight, there are certain things you have to be prepared for. And I am, I do it often enough that I know exactly how to do it, how many holes to put in my box, how many pillows to bring things of that nature. You do have to plan in advance uh, just on the flight, you know, it would normally be a two hour commercial flight it took me seven days, but with enough beef jerky and bottled water, you're fine. And you don't have to wear a mask and there's no other people on the plane. And so there's no opportunity for a brawl. I enjoy it very much. I bring a book and I have a good time. Yeah, like Magellan, you went West to get East. I did. And I, and, and where did I wind up my friend? Oh, right back home, right back yeah. home in the Harbor. So Brad, when you got on your um, flight, did they check your mandatory travel vaccine? They didn't because again, I was you know shipping myself freight. Nobody thinks to ask. In fact, no one thought to ask anyone about their vaccination status until very recently in this country, despite the fact that I am under the impression that disease has been a problem for human beings from the get-go. We never get treated like adults. We get treated like children. And we get treated in this sort of paternalistic way from our leaders where they immediately assume they know better than us. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really discouraging. You hear stories of the mandatory vaccine um, travel documents, which, which I understand are coming. You have enforcement squads, right? Enforcement squads going out in New York City business to business making sure that people are masking up, making sure that people who are dining have their papers, have their vaccine passports. And if you think I'm kidding, go look in the New York Times, go look at the New York Post. They're starting to do that now. Um, they're going table to table in some restaurants asking people for their papers. And I mean, that worked out so well 
in Europe uh, in the middle of the last century. Why not try it again? I mean, this is just uh, it's just insane, but it's all part of the uh, attitude that the government has that it knows better than you. And, you know, Brad, those are the jobs they're creating for a lot of these people that don't want to go to work for a real company. Uh, they're going around and they're going to bother you while you're eating, asking for your papers. Yeah, but I mean, it's just it's amazing. Read a book. I mean, all of this has been tried before. Paternalistic governments has been tried before. In fact, this country was founded because people were sick and tired of having a government run amok that that did not listen to and certainly did not bow to the needs and wants of the people who were being governed. This country was founded such that with, such that, that wouldn't happen again and with the expressed desire that the government run in such a way where it was clear that the people were in charge, that they were the ones who knew what they wanted and what was best for them, and that the government would operate to meet those needs, right? And, and somehow we have walked entirely away from that, right? We're still a democracy today. We saw the opportunity to go to the polls and vote. We saw the opportunity to change the tide of what is happening in our government. And frankly, on both sides, right? I'm not speaking for or against any particular political party. We need to get people in the government who remember what the government is supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do, what it's supposed to spend money on and what it's not supposed to spend money on. And we need to send those folks back to Washington. But I, I am fearful that that's not going to be possible any longer. Right. I mean, I would there's not a chance in hell I would run for public office. I know you wouldn't. None of the folks that I know would because of the disaster that it's become and of the disaster that the media has become. And so I'm just not sure it's possible at this point to get good folks back in Washington. I, I think it's it's impossible, Brad. We, we both I think we both know that. Um, but let's do something a little more pleasant. Let's segue over to barter band. Well, let's do it. I, I, I that is our wheelhouse, buddy. And we should certainly not do a show without getting to our wheelhouse this week. Brad barter band, uh, the Met Gala, the Met Gala. The Met Gala, I know last year you attended. Uh, this is the big gala in New York City where all the celebrities and the good looking people go get dressed up. There's usually a theme. Uh, the theme this year was America, a lifetime of fashion. And this is where Sounds you'll awesome. see the Clintons, the Beavers, uh, usually uh, AOC shows up. And this year with the American theme, a lot of people took to trashing America. Uh, AOC showed up in a dress with tax the rich on the back of it. Uh, Deborah Hab Harry, the uh, uh, great singer from Blondie, uh, wore an American flag skirt. And uh, a lot of celebrities, binary, some non-binary, some trinary, uh, all got up and, and talked about uh, how bad this country was. Uh, now, I know you've attended the Met Gala in the past and you enjoy it. Um, so maybe one, give you a chance to react to this year's theme. And do you think it was appropriate that all these celebrities uh, came out and basically squatted on America and just took a big dump on its chest? But help me out. What's a Met Gala? Where well, does Brad, it occur? The, the Met Gala is where the patrons of the arts get together and walk uh, that aisle, similar to WrestleMania, only without all the class or pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan. like it. Sounds like not there. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a place. Sounds like a great place to stay away from. My guess is going to be that that occurs in New York City. Is that true? That is correct. Ah, good. Well, at least I haven't totally lost it. Yeah, that's that's fine. And and buddy, my again, my guess is going to be that 
you can't get into this thing for free, right? So what, what does it cost one to attend said Met Gala? Now, Brad, I thought you attended this before. So if I'm wrong, yeah. just, uh, you know, help, help me out there. But as you may well know, the least expensive plate is around 35,000 US dollars. So let me, let me just make sure I understand, because I think this speaks to much of what we've already discussed on the program about the just complete lack of any grasp of reality that these people have. And so you, you have AOC, God bless her, showing up an address that says tax the rich and the folks there have paid at least $35,000 to be there. Including her patron, whoever that is. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that's all you need to know. That is all you need to know about these people, right? I mean, America, again, it's not a place. It's certainly not a homogenous group of people. It is an idea. And it is an idea that is supported by the tax-paying American, none of whom were in attendance at that Met Gala. No one at that Met Gala was the average person. No one at that Met Gala is worried about putting their kids through college. No one at that Met Gala is worried about the fact that gas is over four bucks a gallon in many parts of this country. No one there cares about that. They worry about ways in which they can run down the only country on earth that would allow them to exist, which is something that, again, I don't fully understand. But you know, I'm probably not smart enough. I'm certainly not smart enough to go to the Met Gala. It is Met, right? M-E-T, Met. M-E-T. I don't think it's any relation to the ball team, though. I think it's a different no, thing. It's not I'm not sure. Met. Probably doesn't take place in Queens, would be my guess. It's not. No, it's not at Shea Stadium. No. Yeah. No. But I, what's interesting is you see someone like Deborah Harry, right, running through there with a tattered American flag skirt two days after 9-11's memorial for the 20-year oh, anniversary. She These people are tone deaf. They're just tone deaf. Yeah. I don't have any problem with people taking pot shots at this country. That's one of the things that make this country great is that we allow people to say whatever the hell it is they want to say. And, and you can do that. And that's fine. But you're an idiot if you don't recognize that there are very few other countries that would allow you that same opportunity. And none of those other countries provide the sort of support that this country provides for people who want to be an idiot. So Brad, uh, there we are. I think we could both say band or should we say bard? Yeah. Well, whichever one of those things is more severe and you and I have never been able to figure that out. I'm not sure it matters, uh, but yeah, I, I would ban or bar it. But again, actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back, buddy. I'm not going to ban or bar. I like things like the Met Gala because that gets all those people together and away from everyone else. Uh, next, Brad, we've got RIP report. Sad to announce that the great Saturday night comedian, uh, Saturday Night Live, Norm McDonald, has passed away. Another uh, gentleman who entertained us in our youth, gone too soon, much like Ed Asner and Gavin McLeod. Yep. And Kelly I, I could not agree more. Norm McDonald, funny guy. Well, uh, Norm McDonald, uh, RIP, another great, gone too soon. Agreed. Uh, Brad, finally, we've got the return of Time Machine. No. Back in better than ever. It's been in the shop, retrofitted. It is now ready to rock and roll. It is here for the CRN premiere. I'm excited. 
And as you know, this is the big week where we've uh, had a couple of episodes now of American crime story impeachment that has come down the path. Uh, all about uh, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, Linda Tripp, um, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Uh, and of course, you were neck deep in all that. You were in D.C. at the time. Uh, is any of that true? No, none of it. No, you were not in D.C. at that time. I don't think so. What was that period of time? Oh. Uh, the 90s. All the whole nineties, the whole decade. Yes, I was in DC yes. for part of that time. Okay. Oh, all right. okay. All right. You're like, you're like Blinken, the uh, Secretary of State. You got to pin him down. So anyway, uh, yes. Anyway, time travel. You know the rules. The 90s, time, maybe. time travel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad goes back in time for Zima. Ten dollar bill. Yeah. U.S. Uh, goes back in time. Nineteen ninety six. Bill Clinton. It's chaos. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton is contemplating what she's going to do next. Uh, uh, Chelsea Clinton has left the nest. I think she, uh, at that point, it was uh, working on her dissertation at Oxford. Um, and uh, Brad goes back in time, Al Fresco, Terminator, Terminator style, and, uh, you know, has to deal with what's going on there. So you go back right before the first interaction between Monica and the president. Yeah, boy. And you have a $10 bill. Mm-hmm. You have four Zima. You're in the Oval Office in the corner, maybe behind a drape curtain. I don't know. Uh, And the question for you, Brad, is how do you proceed? So let me get this straight. I'm in the Oval Office and both former President Clinton and Miss Lewinsky are in said office, but nothing has yet. No hanky panky has been undertaken. Well, that you know of, Brad, and I should say that he is the president because you've traveled back in time. So he's not former president. That's incorrect. He's the soon to be former president. Well, you don't know that. Well, I do know that. I traveled back in time. Of course I know that. But anything can happen, Brad. You can change the course of history. Like when you went back and wrestled that squirt gun from Squeaky From. It was risky, but someone had to do it. I had to do it. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I obviously, you know, that one of the foibles of time travel is you can't do it, you know, other than Al Fresco. So that always puts me in a somewhat awkward and compromising situation right off the bat. Luckily, there's a drapery there. I happen to know that in the Oval Office that the, the draperies are, are somewhat tenuously attached to the curtain rod. So I'm just going to yank one of those down, quickly fashion a toga, which is something I've practiced quite a bit given this time travel propensity we have. I give the $10 to Miss Lewinsky and tell her to go get herself something nice, which is, you know, something Bill would never have done for her. So she's got her 10 bucks in hand. She's giddy as a schoolgirl. She's out the door. And then I pop a Zima, I hand one to the soon to be former president. And I, I sit down on the nice couch there that's opposite uh, the desk and uh, the resolute desk, as it were. And I say, you know, Mr. President, let's, let's, let's talk about this for just a minute. As it turns out, you're going to live to at least a relatively ripe old age. And there's plenty of opportunities for a guy as charismatic and intelligent as you happen to be if he doesn't screw it up with a White House intern. And he looks at me, I'm sure, somewhat guiltily. He knows I'm from the future. He knows I know what's about to happen. He takes a sip of that Zima. Nothing will clear your head like a Zima. I open one myself just to be companionable. We have a conversation. Great, refreshing drink. Man, it is very much so. We have a conversation man to man. 
I talk him out of the Monica Lewinsky thing. I point out that as it turns out in the future, perhaps not entirely due to the Lewinsky situation, but in at least part due, he's stuck with Hillary Rodham Clinton for the rest of his life. Now, the look of horror that crosses his face when I say that is not something that even Azima can wipe off, my friend. I mean, yeah. that is when you stare down the barrel of that being your future, you, you know, that's hard to deal with, even for a man who is the president of the United States. So he takes a long pull in that Zima. He looks at me, says, you bullshitting me. I say, no, Mr. President, absolutely not. He opens the second Zima. I don't blame him a bit. I open my second Zima again to be companionable. We talk it out. And, uh, you know, in, a, in an alternate universe somewhere, my friend, Bill Clinton is a single man, having never tarnished his reputation with a White House intern. He's rid himself of HRC, and he's he's happier for it. Well, Brad, this has been an exciting episode, hasn't it? It has. I liked it. I enjoyed it, as I, as I commonly do. And I'll and tell you we'd what. love to thank all of our uh, fans out there, everyone who's joined us, uh, those of you out there across this great country and across the great world. Indeed. And those who are continuing to join us on the podcast via the shortwave radio across the interwebs, we appreciate all of you. We look forward to hearing from you and we will see you again next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.